bells jingle all the... Oh, is, is this thing on? Folks, you, uh, you seem to have caught me in the middle of uh, doing some caroling. Uh, sorry about that. Um, welcome to PH5, the year-end special. Um, one of, one of a few episodes, I guess. Um, how you guys doing? I bet you're all doing great. Um, if you don't have COVID, uh, you know someone who has it, and you're probably gonna get it any day now. Um, nothing says festive holiday spirit quite like, uh, the coronavirus does. So, um... Yeah, good stuff, huh? Good stuff. Uh, so, here we are, and I kind of talked about this a few episodes ago, um, on my With Friends episode with the lovely Wizard of and Carrie Lynn, that I was going to be doing some kind of, you know, year-end stuff. Uh, this is the official start of that, okay? We made it through 2021 somehow, and um, things are kind of looking bleaker than ever, but let's not get into that right now. This podcast is going to be a little oasis from the absolute uh, devastation of our normal daily lives. Um, so, today, we're going to start off with part one of the official PH5 year-end list of albums. Um, hell yeah. You know, like I said in episode one, I think it was, dudes love lists. And the whole conceit of this podcast is lists. So this is like the list of lists, you know? It's all been boiling down to this. So this is huge, and um, we're finally going to do it. So, here's how it's going to work, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else in between. Um, this is part one of the PH 5x5. So, I've put together my top 25 records of the year. Today I'm going to talk about numbers 25 to 11. And then part two will come sometime in the next few days where I talk about records number 10 all the way through to number one. Um, I had a lot of fun kind of putting this list together. I've been on the road for the past week or so. Was up in the Ottawa area in Belleville for work. And um, so lots of kind of driving involved. And I, I, I've been taking the time over the past week or two to revisit all the records from this podcast. All the ones that I've liked, all the ones that I haven't liked as much. Trying to uh, listen to some records that I missed as well. Uh, although my integrity is on the line here, I didn't miss any records worth talking about. Um, I, covered a, I covered everything, so don't worry about that. Um, and it was a fun little adventure, you know? Um, going back and kind of listening through the first few podcasts, because uh, I didn't actually list out 
the records that I talked about in those first few. And, uh, wow, they were pretty bad, eh? Um, I mean, it's still not great, I don't think, but I, I think, I think we, we've settled into kind of a rhythm here, you know? Over at PH5 Studios. Um, and yeah, putting together this kind of top 25 list was, was really interesting. Um, it's interesting to see where everything's kind of landed at this point. Um, but Phil, wouldn't you have simply just picked the top one and two records of each month to kind of build out this top 25 list? Uh, you'd think that would be the empirical solution to doing so, but, ah, music enjoyment is subjective, and, uh, you, your tastes change, and your opinions change, and the way you feel about things changes, so... It's not quite that simple. Um, this top 25 list has a few albums that uh, I, I hadn't even talked about in the podcast yet, for various reasons which we will get into. Um, there's a few honorable mentions that have made their way onto the top 25 list. There is actually a number one record from a previous month that is nowhere to be found on this top 25 list. So. If you think you know what's coming, ah, oh, think again, folks. All right, we're full of surprises over here. So, not only am I gonna talk about the top 25, um, I also kinda wanna break it up by talking about my favorite five individual songs of the year. So, I'll talk about five records, take a quick break, talk about a song, go back into five, go to a song again, you know, over here at PH5, we love to, uh, you know, break things up into chunks. Because chunks are easily digestible. That's why we chew our food. So, why don't we get started right now, alright? So, put on your Santa hats, put on your reindeer underwear, and let's dive right in to the top 25 of 2021 according to PH5. Thank you all so much for sticking through for the full year. Thank you to everyone who's just joined in on the recent episodes, um, but definitely go back and listen to all the other ones because context is important. And I mean, I think the most interesting part of this whole process is kind of seeing um, how my thoughts have changed from these records as the year has gone on. And if you haven't heard the previous episodes, you're not going to get all that. So if you haven't, just stop this right now. Go back and listen to the whatever it is, 15 hours worth of previous episodes. And then come back and hit play on this bad boy. Because um, that's just the best way to do it, you know? Or don't do that and just listen to this. That's cool too, okay? I can't really control you one way or the other. So let's do it. Folks, top 25, here we go. Okay, how should I, should I start with the song? No, I should start with the albums, right? I should do like albums and then song, not like song, then albums, that doesn't really make sense. Okay, <laughs> great. Thank you for sticking with me as I figured that out just now. So. 
Let's start with number 25 on the top 25 albums of 2021. So, number 25 we have Imperative Imperceptible Impulse by Ad Nauseam. You guys remember this record? I talked about this one uh, way back in the day. I think it was February or March. Um, and this was actually my number one album of the month for that month. Uh, interesting choice. Um, as time has gone on, I've kind of, I haven't really gone back to the record that much. And I honestly thought that it was going to more or less completely fall out of uh, this rotation for me, not even crack the top 25, but I did go back and I re-listened to it, and you know what, there's, there's really something to this record that is quite special and quite unique, that I just feel like I had to slide it in there somehow. And I feel like the 25 position is like, you know, it's almost like an honorable mention slot, if anything, you know? You just cracked the list, I want to make sure you were included, but I don't like necessarily think you were one of the absolute best records of the year. So if you guys remember, this record is kind of like a zany ass death metal record, extremely avant-garde and extremely experimental. Um, and going back and re-listening to it, yeah, there's just really not much else like this out there. You know, it has shades of Kralis and, and, and shades of other really bizarre technical death metal bands and, and even shades of like early Kyodot as well but it really is its own unique thing and it's one of those records that you listen to and you, you just think to yourself the entire time like how the fuck did they make this and not really in the sense of you know a lot of these kind of you know think of things like an Arca record for example where you're thinking how the fuck did she make all these crazy ass noises? Like that that's not so much it because in your head you also know, right, like really, really meticulous engineering of sound is what did that. But you listen to this record and it's like like how the fuck did they know what to play? How the fuck did they know when to play it? Where to play it? What even are they playing? It's 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 just wild. Like it doesn't seem to have any um, discernible structure to it. The songs go a mile a minute in every odd direction. Um, every member kind of seems to be playing something completely different to the rest of the band, but it's still somehow very tight. And you know that this isn't just a random kind of improvisational thing. Like these sound like songs that these guys have rehearsed and, and, and really put time to put together. But like how, you know? Like, most of these songs are about 10 minutes long, so, like, on a minute eight, like, how does this guy know what riff he's supposed to be playing for that particular three seconds before going on to that other one? Like, it, I just don't get it. And that's what I find so intriguing about this record, is I just don't fundamentally understand how they made it. Which is, uh, really cool. And... As someone who just kind of finished studying sound design and audio engineering and songwriting and all this kind of stuff and has paid very close attention to music throughout my entire life, this is still just baffling to me. It's just a baffling record. I don't understand it. And 
I love not understanding things because it feels like a puzzle. A puzzle that I want to figure out and I don't really think I will ever figure this puzzle out. So kudos to Ad Nauseum for that. But for the love of God, please put your stuff up on streaming because I have bought your record on Bandcamp, that's great. But like, I'm not just like sitting around my laptop at any given time when I want to listen to it, which is a big roadblock, really, um, for really enjoying this record because it's so hard to find a way on the go to listen to music that you don't have on a streaming service because nowadays your, your mobile devices are, they're really framed around these streaming devices and really framed around, um, like you can't really, listen to music you bought on your phone anymore. Craziness. Anyway, number 25, ad nauseum with imperative imperceptible impulse. Yes, I do have to look at my screen every time to make sure that I'm saying that right. Okay, number 20, hold on, sorry, coffee sip. Can you tell I've had three coffees today? Probably not. So, number 24 is Gas with Derlang Marsh. Um, this record I haven't talked about yet, ever, in the podcast. And why is that? Well, folks, this record came out in December, and I haven't rounded up December's releases yet. <laughs> so, there you go. Um, I always make it kind of a point to try to include a December release in any of my year-end kind of top records lists. Uh, just because, like, I feel bad for all those December releases that just get completely kind of, um, you know, forgotten or disregarded because everyone's already done their lists by like the end of fucking November. Guys, there's still a whole month, all right? Um, again, I'm being extremely hypocritical because it's only the middle of December and here I am doing my year-end list, but whatever, I think you know the point that I'm trying to make. Um, now that being said, I'm not just shoehorning in this record because it was released in December. I genuinely think it has a spot on this top 25 list. Um, so, so Gas, for those of you who don't know, um, is a German kind of ambient producer and he's been around for a very long time. And he had a kind of classic run of records in the 90s up to early 2000s where he really kind of um, pioneered ambient music as we know it today. Um, he was dormant for a while, and he came back in 2017 <clears throat> with his comeback record, Narcopop. And Narcopop ended up being my number one album of the year back in 2017. And that was because to very specific circumstances. Um, 2017 is when I developed tinnitus. And I was a mess for the first few weeks of the onset of tinnitus. Just really, really 
freaking out um, pretty badly. Um, but this album came out, and this album kind of served as a bomb for tinnitus for me. It uh, something about narco pop really uh, set me at ease, and every single night I would fall asleep listening to it. And it became kind of like the only way I could fall asleep. So, amazing record for sure in its own right, but that, like to me personally, was a very special record because uh, it helped me kind of come to terms with my tinnitus and uh, start to learn how to live with it a little bit. You know, that album helped me finally be able to fall asleep, something I was having a lot of trouble doing when the tinnitus initially uh, kind of developed with me. So it kind of made me feel like, okay, I can actually live a normal life again. And, I mean, geez, like, of course I have to give it the number one spot at that point. Like, how many records come along that you listen to that literally almost kind of save your life? So, you know I had to do it to him. So this is the third, well, I guess second record after Narcopop. Rosh came out a few years ago. Um, and this one dropped just a few weeks ago, here in December, and kind of the big rumor around it is that this is potentially Gas's last record ever. I mean, after the storied career that he's had, I mean, it's bound to end eventually for sure. And this is a fitting last testament, absolutely. And there's something really interesting going on in this record. It, it, it does kind of tie in a lot of his older sounds, you know, the, those kind of string samples, and uh, wh whatever it is that he uses to make that, that kind of ambience, and it has that, uh, you know, plodding techno beat to it that's consistent throughout the entire record. Um, again, Der Longmarsh does translate to The Long March, and that's really what this record sounds like with its incessant beat throughout the entire thing. Um, it sounds like a long march. And I think that uh, if you consider this is his last record, you kind of start to contextualize everything a little bit more, like the title. Um, in many ways, I'm sure he feels like his career has been a long march. And uh, this is the end of that long march. And What's also really interesting for me personally is Gas has included a very interesting kind of um, choice, we'll say, for this album. So every second beat of the record, literally the entire record, every second beat of the record has this kind of high-pitched kind of really high frequency noise that kind of comes on the downbeat throughout the entire thing. And I found it really interesting because I didn't notice it for the first few times that I listened to it. And it was only when I read this really stupid Pitchfork review of the album of some guy complaining about it that I actually picked up on it. Um, so why has he decided to include this particular high frequency um, <laughs> at such a high frequency throughout the record? 
So again, you got to think back to the context here. So this guy, again, it's ambient music, but the ambient music he's made has never been calm or, or quiet or soft. I remember talking about uh, the John Hopkins record last podcast or fuck who knows, whichever one it was ago. And how it's functional, it's meant to soothe and calm you. You know, it was literally music for psychedelic therapy. Uh, I would say uh, gas makes like music that you need psychedelic therapy to get over. <laughs> it's very almost anxious. And um, it, can, it can kind of freak you out a little bit if uh, you're not really prepared for what you're listening to. So... After a full decade of making this kind of music, you gotta think like, how many shows has he played? All, all the time and effort that he's put into creating these songs and these soundscapes, very high volume stuff. Surely this man also has tinnitus. Um, and the inclusion of this super high frequency kind of beat throughout the entire thing, I think is a nod in a way to this tinnitus and to this kind of overwhelming feeling of, of hearing loss and all this kind of stuff. So he's kind of like created an ode to tinnitus with this record, which I find so fascinating because tinnitus for me is how I initially got into this particular artist. So in a way, it almost feels like he's speaking to me, you know, like, Hey man, like, you use my music to get over your tinnitus. Here's a little shout out to you with some actual, like, tinnitus sounds in the album. And again, I couldn't hear that particular high frequency noise my first few initial listens. I had to actually read about it and, and learn that it was in there because I, I can't really hear that stuff. So... It's a great record, a great um, summation of his entire career. And again, it just kind of speaks to me again personally because of that inclusion, that particular peculiar inclusion of that sound. Um, but hey, even if you don't have tinnitus, you're gonna love the record, okay? So coming in at number 24 is Gas with Derlang Marsh. How's that for a sweet? German accent. Okay, coming in at number 23 is Halsey with If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power. Um, this is certainly the most surprising album of the year for me. Uh, again, I remember being incredibly initially shocked when she announced that this album was coming out and that it was entirely produced by Nine Inch Nails. And I remember being even more shocked when I listened to it and it actually worked. Um, I mean, if you had told me that Halsey would have gotten a spot on one of my year-end lists back in like 2017 or whatever it was when she had the song with the Chainsmokers, I would have slapped you in the fucking face. Uh, but here we are, and she's really proven that she has a shit ton of integrity as an artist with this record. Um, the fact that she kind of dropped it with no advanced singles, 
really speaks to the fact that she really considers this kind of a unified piece of art. Um, an album album, you know, meant to be kind of consumed as a whole. And I know a few songs have been kind of released subsequently as singles. Um, like, I'm Not a Woman, I'm a God, which is fair because it's a great song. Um, I think This Girl is a Gun is also out there as a single. But it really is something you need to listen to from front to back. And you don't get a lot of records like that from, you know, we'll say mainstream pop artists. And you especially don't get records where they've completely switched their sound the way that Halsey has here. Um, her last record, Manic, was a pretty solid pop album, but it was still ostensibly a pop album. You know, she touched on a bunch of different genres, but it was still just pop music, just done really well. But this is like a straight up alternative album. Like, you'd have to kind of be a hard stretch to find any straightforward pop on this album. I'd say honestly, like the, the poppiest it really gets is um, that kind of almost country song collab she has with Lindsey Buckingham, which is pretty big flex. I mean, yo, this girl worked with Nine Inch Nails. She got Dave Grohl to drum on some of the songs. And she has a song on here with Lindsey Buckingham. Like, I think her cred is currently through the roof and you just gotta respect that. Um, the album, again, it has a few standout songs that you can listen to on its own, but this is definitely something you just need to listen to from front to back. And I just, I gotta say, like, I, I'm, I'm proud of her for making this album and, and kind of taking the huge risk associated with this record. It, I haven't looked at official numbers, but there's no way this record sold as many as her earlier ones did. Again, with no advanced singles, no real call to radio, except for alternative stations. I, I, I have heard some of these songs on like the local rock stations. You're not gonna hear any of them on top 40 anymore because this isn't top 40 music. So you just really gotta give it up to Halsey. I mean, she took a huge risk with this record and it paid off, absolutely. Oh my God. Just forget about that. Um, so shouts out to her, and also just want to give a shout out to Trent and Atticus for really proving that they can work with pop artists to create great music. And I'm really, really hoping we see more of this in the future. So, number 23, Halsey, if I can't have love, I want power. Number 22, we have Injury Reserve with By the Time I Get to Phoenix. Um, definitely one of the most left field hip hop releases I've heard this year or really any year. Um, it's really impressive how they managed to completely deconstruct the genre on this record, but still make it really easy to listen to and catchy even at times um that i don't i forget what the second song is called but the one that's like ain't no saving me i mean it's a great hook it's a killer hook even if the instrumentals are going completely bonkers in the background 
it's still catchy as hell. And um, the other single, Knees, which is like a complete deconstruction of like a soul rap song, also extremely catchy and, and, and just touching in a way. Um, but this was such a cool record and again, context is always important. You And listening to this and knowing that you're hearing the voice of a dead man saying some of his last words ever recorded is uh, it really makes you feel something else. Um, Grog's parts on this record are absolutely incredible and those are the last parts that we're ever going to hear from him. And it just makes the music listening experience like a, a completely different beast. Um, hearing these songs and hearing him talk about kind of the pain and torment and, and drug abuse and whatever it may be that he's experiencing and then knowing that shortly after committing all this stuff to tape he actually passed away is uh it's hard you know it, it, it's it's almost like um maybe this is a weird example but i remember when chester bennington died from lincoln park and it just completely recontextualized their entire discography like I mean, you know, they've always kind of seemed a little bit silly and, and on the nose and, and over the top with a lot of their music, but then when you hear, like, holy shit, like, he killed himself, like, he really meant all those things he was singing about, you go back and you listen to, like, any Linkin Park and it just, it cuts a lot deeper knowing that, well, like, he, he was serious, like, he was really going through it. And to the point where he just couldn't do it anymore. And I feel a lot of that when I listen to this record. And it's even more impactful because, like, he had already passed away by the time this record came out. So you're already going into listening to this with the context that you're going to be hearing kind of the last rites of someone on this record. And even if that wasn't the case, and even if there wasn't that specific context around this album, it would still be an absolutely incredible, kind of extremely forward-thinking musical document that would absolutely deserve a place on this list in any list. But again, knowing, knowing that context and knowing that, damn, like, the stuff that this guy is rapping about on this record is so real that he actually is no longer around. Um, really puts, frames it in this completely different way. It's a, it can be a difficult listen. Again, not even just because of the emotional tenor of the whole thing, but it's, it's meant to be difficult. You know, it's uh, it's ex very experimental, very avant-garde. Uh, it's almost like, and there's been a lot of really forward-thinking voices in rap these days. Like if you think of, um, like the whole brain feeder scene in LA, or, or what's happening in New York with uh, standing on the corner in navy blue, that kind of like jazz rap thing that's going on. You know. Rap is being pushed to its limits right now, but no one has quite pushed it to its limit like Injury Reserve has on this record. So, 
Coming in at number 22 is Injury Reserve with By the Time I Get to Phoenix. Number 21 is Spectral Wound with A Diabolic Thirst. Now, when I initially included this record in a uh, episode, who knows how many months ago, I kind of did this thing where I cheated a little bit and I had this record and uh, the Passage Dive record, Geister, they were kind of like tied for a position on the podcast. Um, yeah, you know, revisionist history here. Uh, this record is much better than the Geist, uh, sorry, the Paysage Dive record. Um, in fact, it's probably, I would say, one of the best, if not the best, black metal records that I heard this year. What I really like about this album is black metal has a tendency sometimes to, like, just kind of devolve into vibey atmospherics, um, tremolo picking and blast beats and, you know, synths and that high-pitched screaming where it's hard to kind of make out what's really going on in any specific song, which is cool and it has its time and place for sure. That was definitely the case with the the Paysage Duve record. But what I really like about uh, the Spectral Wound album is uh, it has songs, you know, like a lot of the songs are, you know, in, in kind of in the four minute range and they have riffs, easily identifiable riffs that separate them from the other songs in the record. Um, this isn't a case where everything's kind of blending together. Like you can tell one song from the next. It's almost like, <laughs> this is stupid, um, but it's like pop, song version of black metal, you know? Um, the song structures kind of make sense. The riffs are identifiable. Um, you kind of know what's going on in every song. Like, like I have favorite songs on this album. You know, how often do you really say that about a black metal record? Usually, with these kinds of things, you just kind of throw it on, and you let it play through from start to finish, and kind of envelop yourself in the experience. But no, this is a record that you can pick a song from and listen to that one and maybe you only want to listen to that one today and that's okay because that particular song brings a certain something that you're wanting at that particular moment of time. Um, like if, if you could like playlist black metal, you know, you could definitely do that with this record. You could throw this record on shuffle or something if you want and you'd be able to pick out all the individual songs as they're happening. Um, so I think that's really cool, and it's a really unique thing in the genre that you don't really see too much of. Plus, uh, I mean, you gotta give a shout out, Spectral Wound, you know, fellow Canadian from Montreal. So, you know, PH5, about the most patriotic podcast there is, I just want to support Canadian black metal. Um, so, you gotta give it up to these guys. Actually, I think it's just one guy. Uh, whoever you are, Mr. Wound, um, kudos on having, in my opinion, the best black metal record of the year. So, coming in at number 21 is Spectral Wound with a Diabolic Thirst.
And number 20 is taking meds with terrible news from wonderful men. Um, I just like talked about this album like one or two podcasts ago, so I don't want to spend too much time with it because I already feel I already talked about it a whole bunch. That's recency bias for you. But again, just one of the best straight up collection of rock songs that I've heard in a very long time. And that's just a capital R rock, you know? No need for any um, specific genre signifiers in and around that. This is just a rock album, okay? Um, it kicks ass. It's catchy. Um, it's kind of funny at times. It's just brimming with personality. The riffs are awesome. The hooks are incredible. It's just kind of everything that you'd want from a capital R rock record. Because the Foo Fighters are garbage these days. No one else is really doing it anymore. So in a perfect world, these guys would be dominating rock airwaves. I don't know why they aren't. Might have something to do with the uh, kind of maybe slightly controversial band name. Um, but maybe that'll change sometime soon. But keep an eye on this band because if anyone can break out into kind of the mainstream rock scene, it's got to be these guys because the songcraft is just there. I mean, it's already there. It's just kind of waiting to be discovered. So um, do yourself a favor, put on a bandana or something, uh, you know, wear some cutoff jeans or whatever, put this record on and just fucking rock out. All right, and have a good time with it, okay? So number 20, taking meds, terrible news from wonderful men. Okay, so let's do a song. Let's talk about a song now. I haven't really done that in this podcast. You know, I've talked a lot about albums, but what about songs, you know? The microcosm of an album, the the, the, you know, it's what the albums are made of, you know? Uh, you can't have an album without a song, but sometimes songs are so good that they transcend the album. And that's kind of what this top five is about. These songs were so great that I would listen to them out of context. So, number five on my top five songs of the year is the song Unborn by Eyelet. Um, so I talked about this album way, way, way back in the very first podcast, back in January. Um, again, the album dropped December 31st, which is basically January 1st, depending on where you are on the planet. So I counted it. And that album, but specifically this song, got me through the first few weeks of the year, which were again crazy due to COVID. Um, so what I love about the song, it's it's short, it's, it's only about two minutes long or so, but it just packs such a punch in that two minutes. Um, it kind of moves from this like initial kind of atmospheric, spacey, yet really aggressive plotting part um, 
and then about halfway through the song the tempo kind of changes and it gets kind of a little bit quicker and that riff comes in and my god it's such a simple boneheaded yet glorious riff that you can't help but just lose it every time you hear it and the way that the kind of scream shouted vocals intermingle with the riff for the last you know minute of the song is just utter perfection um the whole album's fantastic. I may or may not be talking about it at some point later on. Who knows? You'll have to stick around and find out. But this song to me was the absolute embodiment of everything that Islet did right with that particular record. Um, so, number five song of the year, I've probably listened to it a billion times, is Unborn by Islet. Okay, back into the albums. So, coming in at number 19, we have Fiddlehead with Between the Richness. This was another record that uh, I remember really loving initially when it came out, and then I kind of never listened to it again up until, you know, this past two weeks or so when I've been revisiting everything. And I kind of thought it would, you know, kind of disappear altogether from the list but going back and listening to it again like this is such a great album um these are the mentions thanks for that um these aren't the mentions by the way uh we're not doing any mentions this episode sorry about that so again what is really cool about this album is how hard yet simultaneously soft it is <laughs> like, uh, the vocalist's voice is very gruff, and he's kind of like shout singing throughout the entire thing, but there's this really kind of gentle quality to it as well. And you just kind of want to get a big hug from this guy, you know? Uh, I can imagine a fiddlehead show being a, a, a show of lots of warmth and a lots of compassion and a lot of... Uh, community almost if you will so the songs are about you know he the vocalist slash guitarist used to be in have heart which is one of like the all-time legendary hardcore bands it's kind of like an older guy now probably in his 40s or whatever and he's making like again i think i described it as dad hardcore if i didn't describe it as dad hardcore i missed out because I think that's the perfect way to describe this. He's he's older, you know, and he, he's still got that hardcore touch to him, and you know, he's got the oh yeah, but but he's older now, and he's um you know more melancholic and more like reasonable almost, and, and you know it's just older and different takes on the world and, and, and a lot more wistful. So. It's a really cool, like, it's like the softest hardcore record I've ever heard in my life. And that doesn't seem like it makes any sense, but you listen to this and it totally makes sense. Uh, again, chock full of great songs, great, almost like, you know, like kind of like the mix of pop punk and hardcore, kind of where these two things meet, great hooks like that, and... Just, again, a really kind of 
wistful subject matter about talking about the past and, and, and it really really makes me almost excited to be an older gentleman to be able to make music that still has this much grace to it but still kind of kicks ass um, that's something that you can only get with age so coming in at number 19 is Fiddlehead with Between the Richness Number 18 is Succumb with XXI. And this was an album that I had put at number one for, I don't know, like August or something. I don't remember. And then I, like, I kind of forgot about it. It wasn't like uh, the Ad Nauseum record where I always knew, like, yeah, I, I always remember that record and kind of thought it would kind of slip the rankings. I, I just kind of forgot that I even had this record on the go. Um, wow, what a pleasant surprise to revisit this though. Like, this album kicks so much ass and is just easily one of the best death metal records that I've heard in so long. Um, it has that kind of uh, abstract quality to it that um, the Ad Nauseam record did and uh, like a lot of Kralis records do but it's not as just completely out there as that and this record is more intent on just being fucking sick instead of trying to kind of blow your mind um, you know riffs are extremely important and and just the aggression of it is is really quite baffling um like i know aggression is a big part in, in in metal i mean especially death metal but like they're playing and the vocalists like they just sound so pissed off and it adds this really kind of menacing energy to the whole album that it's weird and angry. It, it, it's kind of hard to be both of those same things at the same time. But uh, they absolutely pulled it off. And again, I've talked about the vocals on the podcast before where I featured this as number one. And I just got to touch on them again because they're... It's so cool. It's its its not like your standard death metal where it's like... You know, like, like guttural whatever or, or high-pitched squeals and shrieking like it sounds like she's like just ripping her throat apart and and you know with these these vocals that come from you can hear just so deep inside of her it's like you've got to be damaging your body while doing this and the fact that you're you're still doing it and you're so committed to these songs and this craft that you're like you know, fucking up your entire body to make it, it sounds like. It's just special. And it, it, it's a death metal album, really unlike any that I've heard. It's definitely the best one from this year. And uh, this band, again, was one of my big surprises from this year. And uh, I can't wait to see them live, if that's ever going to be a thing that we're ever able to do again. So... Coming in at number 18 is Succumb with XXI. 
Number 17, we have spelling with the turning wheel. Uh, talk about a completely unanticipated 180. So spelling used to make kind of this weird, cool, trippy, kind of like, you know, dark wave, kind of synthy kind of stuff. It was cool, but nothing especially special in any sort of way. But what she's done with this record is really almost unprecedented. Talk about going from like lo-fi to hi-fi or like minimalism to just complete maximalism. Like it sounds like there are like 50 different people playing 50 different instruments all across this record. Um, I, I, what I always get baffled about when I listen to it is like, where was the budget for this? Like, she signed to Sacred Bones, which is obviously one of the bigger indie labels, but still, they're still an independent label, and the amount of musicianship that you hear in this record is like, how did they find all these people to, and, and, and pay them to play on this album? Because... There's just so much going on. And there's no way she performed even like a quarter of this. It's, it's all outside help for sure. I mean, I'm sure she had a big hand in the arrangement of this record, which is absolutely incredible and a massive artistic achievement to have arranged the record like this the way that she did. But like, how did they get all these people on the record? I just don't get it. Um, I'm glad they figured it out though, and I'm glad that they made it work because this record is sensational. Um, it almost sounds like a like a Disney soundtrack at times. Like that's how orchestral and kind of um, you know full of flourishes that this whole thing is. Uh, but I mean that in a good way. It's like if Disney made like these cool dark songs um it would probably sound something like this so i mean the album in and of itself is fantastic but what really to me makes it special is just what a massive leap this album is from all of her previous work so i mean will will she have another leap as big as this on the next record We'll have to wait and see. But for now, you just got to give it up to her for doing what she did in this thing. So, again, coming in at number... What are we at? Number 17 is Spelling with the Turning Wheel. Number 16, we have Doja Cat with Planet Her. Yeah, okay, so this was one of my honorable mentions, but, you know, it deserved so much more than that. So, first of all, Doja, apologies for that initial honorable mention thing, because you definitely deserve a top five spot for whatever month that was. Um, welcome to the top 25 album list. So happy to have you here. Uh, Doja just ruled this year, for sure. She... You know, she had her kind of breakout success with Say So in uh, 2019 and 2020. 
but she just dominated this year with the release of this record. Um, Kiss Me More with SZA being featured in the Billboard Top 10 for like months on end, um, almost hitting number one. I think it was at like number two for like weeks. Um, the collab with The Weeknd getting performed at uh, the Billboard Awards, I think it was, or the VMAs. And, and, and just her profile rose so much with the release of this album. And wow, does she ever deserve it. This is easily, I would say, the pop album of the year. Um, you know, of course, yeah, it's like a hip hop album, but it, come on, it's like a pop album. Let's be real here. Um, the whole thing is just so much color and so much flavor and character to it. And that's why I really, really like Doja Cat is she has so much personality, um, which has, you know, gotten her in trouble in the past for sure. But like all that personality shines through on all these songs and you're listening to it and you're like, this is like a real person, you know, she's not like these other pop stars that have just been sanitized to hell and like you don't really know who they are listening to these songs. Um, no, you listen to this album and you know exactly who she is. You know she's a fucking total complete goofball, um, massive troll, horny as hell, just a complete weirdo, but you know, in, in control of herself and her image and her sexuality and it just rules all this pretty much all the songs are great there are kind of few uh middling songs where she tries out the kind of like uh mid-tempo soft the weekend-esque r&b thing which doesn't really work as well but for the most part honestly she just kills it across the entire record um and there's a particular song on here that I'm going to be talking about a little bit later that was just by and far my favorite pop song of the year that I've just been obsessed with since it came out. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. You can probably guess what it is though. Um, but yeah, I gotta give it up to Doja Cat. I mean, I haven't been this completely entranced with a pop album in who knows how long, but I could listen to this all day, every day and have a complete blast while doing it. So, coming in at number 16 is Doja Cat with Planet Her. And for number 15, we have Low with Hey What. So when I talked about this album in the previous podcast episode, I talked about how I kind of shot myself in the foot with this record. Um, going into it with just so much anticipation after Double Negative that I kind of just assumed it was going to be my album of the year before it even came out. And you know, why would I why would I do that to myself? Because I'm just setting myself up for disappointment. Like I don't think I've ever kind of assumed an album would be my favorite of the year before it's come out and then it ended up actually being that way. Because you, you again, you're just, you're setting the expectations too high 
there's there's no way anything will ever be as good as what you want it to be in your head. Um, and I still don't really think this album is the album of the year, for sure, you know, devoid of any of that context. It's still an amazing record, though, so you have to give them credit for that. Um, is it as good as Double Negative? I can say with assurance at this point that no, it is not. Uh, that record, again, is just special. There, there will probably never be another album like that one. But as a follow-up to Double Negative, I would say it absolutely succeeds. Um, by kind of taking that heavily distorted sound and just kind of adding a little bit of light to the mix. Uh, Double Negative, which is dark. Just dark and dreary. And uh, again, of course that appealed to me. But the way that they've taken all of that distortion and all of that heaviness and added some, you know, uplifting melodies to it and uplifting song, subject matter. It's a, it's a really unique combination of the dark and the light, which I guess you can kind of see on that, uh, you know, kind of grayscale cover that comes with the album. I hope they work with BJ Burton for the rest of their lives because uh, that particular producer has just injected so much life into this band that, you know, after 30 years of being in the game, like, you need a little kind of spark to kind of keep going. And uh, there haven't been too many acts that have had kind of a late career resurgence the way that Lowe has. And, you know, I, I, I just hope it keeps going and they continue tapping into this particular creative energy that they have been on this record and the record before because you know these guys are like in their 50s or whatever it is and they're making some of the best music of their career and that's really inspiring stuff so coming in at number 15 is low with hey what Fuck, I kind of- did I fuck this up? I should have done another song before that, shouldn't I? Uh, whatever. That's okay. Um, let's just do it now. So, number four song of the year is... Average Death by The Armed. Now, people really loved this Armed record. Uh, probably a bit too much. Um, you know, I- remember not being totally blown away by it when it first came out and feeling like I was like the only person on earth who wasn't. So, um, again, I, I went back and re-listened to it a little while ago, just seeing maybe I missed something the first time that, that, uh, everyone else didn't miss. And I still was kind of underwhelmed by it and, and seeing it placed in so many year-end lists and place so high on a lot of these year-end lists like I, I really just don't get it like I don't think it's that great and this was an album I was really looking forward to and, and a band that I really like now that all that being said Average Death is their best song I would say and it's kind of the one instance where they really really succeed at the sound that they're trying to do across the entire record which is kind of like what I'm going to call pop hardcore. 
where they kind of meld together the maximalism maximalism of pop music and catchiness of pop music with you know the intensity of hardcore um everyone i've shown the song to doesn't like it uh that's their loss i guess but i love it i think it's really cool i love the off-kilter rhythms throughout the entire thing uh i love the really catchy very hooky group vocals throughout the entire thing um i love the breakdown and the kind of high octane riffage that happens in the breakdown before leading into that last rendition of the chorus that just like plods along um it just works it's it's definitely a success and the best success that this band had at creating the sound so coming in at number four is average death by the armed songs all right let's finish her off um with the last few songs before we get to number 10. so coming in at number 14 is pierre born the life of pablo five uh this record is just so much fun it's other than the doja cat record probably the record that i just had the most fun with this year uh Pierre is just such a fascinating, unique producer that there's really nothing out there that sounds like the music that he knows how to make. And he has really refined his craft and honed it so well. And this is the best iteration of it that he's made yet. So, you know, after kind of coming up in prominence by working with Playboy Cardi back in the day, he really made it clear that he wanted to be his own artist and not just be a producer for other artists but you know I remember him seeing seeing an article where he wanted to be the next Kanye and I can kind of see the same trajectory there you know making beats for other people and then being like no fuck that I'm making beats for me and like I'm gonna be that number one person and I remember being really skeptical of it back in the day because you know, as a rapper, he just wasn't that great, but he's really taken the time to perfect his craft. And, you know, at this point, I'd say he's almost as good. Well, not not quite, but he's getting there. He's, he's getting to be as good of a rapper slash singer as he is making beats. But again, at the end of the day, this is about the beats. Uh, Pierre special because uh, he is an audio engineer. He's, he's a certified one. He's, he's taken the course. He's got his degree and you can hear it in the music. It's all, it's kind of all made from scratch. Like he does use samples, but they're kind of more for cinematic use. Um, you can hear the fact that he's made all of the sounds that comprise the beats on this record by himself. You know, he's really synthesized this entire album almost from scratch and because he's able to do that he's able to kind of have an auteur's touch across the entire thing and he can make the album sound exactly the way that he wants it to sound and what's really special about it is uh you talk about pure born you cannot 
not talk about his transition game. And that's what really, really makes this album special, is how he's able to seamlessly transition from each song into the next one um, in a way that almost makes the entire album sound like like a DJ set, in a way. It's just so smooth, it just keeps going, there's no real breaks, and the energy is maintained throughout the entire thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I can't wait to hear him work with other artists again, and, and, and just hearing his beats are like, there's something about them. It's almost like ear candy. Like, he's so good at making these sounds that your ears just want to hear. And almost every single song on this entire album has, you know, a synth pad or, or a bass line or something that just, just like physically feels good to hear, if that makes any sense. Specific resonant frequencies that uh, really are appealing to the ears. And when you combine that with, you know, his, uh, he's, the fact that he's gotten a lot better at rapping, a lot better at singing, and a lot better at all these things. You're just left with this really complete sounding project that is remarkably consistent. There are, there are a few kind of stinkers throughout here and there. I mean, he has a long way to go still in terms of kind of not being a cringeworthy rapper at times, but honestly, the, the beats just sound so good that even when he is kind of lyrically missing, um, you don't even really care because what you're listening to just sounds so great. So, coming in at number 14 is Pierre Bourne with The Life of Pierre 5. Number 13, we have Grouper with Shade. Um, Grouper is always going to be an artist that has a really special place in my heart. Um, I remember being completely transfixed with the man who died in his boat, like almost a decade ago at this point, and kind of never looking back. Uh, there's something about Grouper's music that appeals to a very, very specific set of emotions, and no one else is able to touch upon those the way that she does. Um, I remember this tweet by uh, kind of a music journalist that I really respected named Brandon Stozoy, where he said, every winter I put grouper on and repeat in my kitchen and I don't turn it off until winter's over. And that's just exactly it. It's very kind of quiet, snowy music, if that makes any sense. Um, music that you put on to contemplate and just reflect and uh, just like think about life, you know? Uh, the way that she is able to combine ambience with just pure songwriting and uh, the way she's mastered both the art of sounding incredibly distant and then another song sounding incredibly close while kind of maintaining the same mood and vibe uh, throughout either of those approaches. She just has such a singular take on music that anytime you get a grouper drop, there's a reason why everyone is all over it because 
Liz Harris, who's the artist behind Grouper, she just has a way with music that really no one else out there can really touch. And I would definitely say that Shade is my favorite of her records since uh, Man Who Died in His Boat. It's a really interesting how it's a collection of songs over the past like 14 years, yet there's definitely a thematic arc throughout the entire thing. All the songs kind of connect to one another and yeah, it's just, it's stunningly beautiful. It's achingly sad and hey, I'm looking out the window right now and I'm seeing snowflakes falling. So it's grouper season, baby. So coming in, number 13 is grouper with shade. Number 12, we're going with Kowloon Walled City with Piecework. Um, you know, in a weird way, this album reminds me kind of of Grouper in that it manages to capture a singular distinct emotion, um, but instead of kind of getting to that emotion via, you know, uh, ambience and, and, and soft acoustic guitars or faraway sounding pianos they managed to do it through kind of harrowing vocals and and uh pristine pristinely mixed guitar and drums and and everything just kind of sounding exactly where it's meant to be everything in its right place if you will um it's an album that kind of sounds exactly the same throughout the entire thing, as I mentioned in previous podcast, but that's because it's trying to capture this one specific mood, and that mood is kind of just devastation. Um, there's a really almost apocalyptic feeling to this album, which is impressive considering, I mean, it really is just a guitar, bass, drum, and vocals. And not only that, but there's there seems to be minimal overdubbing on the record. It's, it's kind of played straight through, is what it sounds like. And the fact that they're able to create such a huge kind of, uh, again, devastating sound with kind of so little at their disposal is a really impressive feat. And it's a... It's a heavy listen. It's it's one of those records where the quiet parts are as heavy as the loud ones are. And it has all these elements of, of post-rock, but also metal and also post-hardcore, but kind of at the same time, none of those things. It sounds like a Kowloon Walled City record. It's, it's, it's kind of exactly what it is and nothing else other than that, if that makes any sense. It's hard to do that, especially when you have, again, kind of the minimal approach to this album that they've taken with recording and the mixing process and everything. So the fact that they're able to pull off this mood and this sound with, again, 
their instruments is 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 a it's really special and this album will will take you to a dark place so if that's where you want to go you know you're not going to find an album as uh, good at doing that as this one will so coming in at number 12 is Kowloon Walled City with Piecework and the last record we're going to talk about today is number 11 Turnstile Glow On uh, so this is their big breakthrough record this is their big um, what's it called when you like go from like a kind of niche genre crossover yeah so this is Turnstile's big crossover record. I mean, they just performed a gig on like Seth Meyers or something like that, which is hilarious um, when you consider that Turnstile has been one of the biggest underground hardcore bands of the past decade or so. But this is where they are now. But it's not because they compromised their sound. It's not because they sold out. Um, it's because they're just that fucking good. And the songs on this album are that fucking good. Um, it's just so much fun. It's like, you can't not listen to this album and bob your head along or, or, or you know, shout along with the lyrics. It's, it's hardcore at its most fun. And the fact that they've managed to, you know, re retain their kind of core signature sound but get all of this crossover success is, is really just a testament to how great of a band Turnstile is. Um, they've always been unafraid to experiment with different genres and, and bring in different sounds into the mix. So when they do that on this record, again, it's not them selling out or them, you know, changing for the worse. It's just them being more of who they are but it's them being the best that they could possibly be. You know, this record sounds like... Jeez, it sounds like Beastie Boys mixed with, like, I don't know, like Incubus sometimes. Early Incubus. No, don't get me wrong. There's not one but two Blood Orange features on the album. Um, there's almost like a straight-up R&B track on the album, but it all makes sense somehow within this kind of musical universe that Turnstile has cultivated. Um, and God, they can still throw down. Like, uh, song TLC, Turnstile Love Connection. Like, is, is, is Mosh personified? And, and there's no doubt in my mind that old Turnstile fans love this album as much as all of the newcomers do because it's it sticks to their roots as much as it expands their horizons in, in, in a way that's really, really hard to do. But they managed to pull it off and it's one of these instances where you can't even be mad at them for having the success that they've had based on this record because they've earned it. It's just that good. So... Coming in at number 11 is Turnstile with Glow On. Okay, let's finish off now with 
the number three song of the year for me. And I kind of alluded to the song a little bit earlier in the podcast, but this song is Need to Know by Doja Cat. This is a perfect song. I don't know really how else to describe it. It's just, it shows you the power of two chords and what two chords can really, what they can do, what you can make with just two simple chords. Um, It was unfortunately produced by Dr. Luke. That's a bummer. Um, But Dolja Cat has now gone on record saying she's not gonna work with him anymore. So hey, at least there's that. But the the amount of personality and the the hooks and catchiness that exudes through this song is unlike anything else. Um, It's raunchy as hell, uh, but also like just a ton of fun and not like uncomfortable in a weird way. She's funny about her raunchiness, you know? Um, <laughs> what's one of the lines? It's like, um, sorry about the random erection, probably thinking I'm a telekinetic. Like, it's just jokes. And again, she has so much personality with the way that she vocalizes everything that you just can't help but laugh and, and, and just, like, be on her side about it. Um... This is a criminally underrated song in terms of the pop music landscape, and it's been on the billboard. I think it's almost in the top 10 now or whatever, and I still think it's criminally underrated. This is a number one song, and this should be her biggest song ever. I think it has the opportunity to kind of do what Blinding Lights did with The Weeknd. If you remember when that song came out, it came out with a Heartless and Heartless was number one for a while and then slowly afterwards Blinding Light kind of crept up the charts to the top where it remained for what like a year I see this song doing something similar watch next year this song will be everywhere as it should have been this year because it is it's just perfect it's just a perfect song I don't really know how to describe it so number three song of the year is Need to Know by Doja Cat And that's it, okay? We're gonna stop there. Um, Next episode, we're gonna talk about the number 10 through to number one albums and the number two and number one songs of the year for me. Very exciting stuff. Do you have any guesses what they might be? Let me know. I would love to hear what you think is gonna end up uh, topping the charts for me. And then uh, I can let you know how right or wrong you are. This has been a lot of fun, as always. I'm so excited to kind of conclude this year with uh, the last episode. Um, And don't worry, December. We'll start off the new year with a nice little December roundup. So you're not getting... I, I was about to say gypped, but I recently learned that the origin of the word gypped is like gypsied, which is, it's just racist. So stop using that word. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys had fun. I hope you're, I hope I built some anticipation for the top 10. Um, you know, it's something that I kind of put a lot of thought into. Uh, I mean, mostly because I was just kind of bored this last week driving around all the time. 
but I hope you get as much enjoyment out of listening to it and figuring out what they are as I did putting the list together. It's been a great year for music, and uh, going back and revisiting all of this has just been an absolute blast. So once again, thank you as always for tuning in. This is Phil May signing out of PH5. Bless you, wear a mask, get your booster shot, and uh, <laughs> let's get through this together. Peace.